Thank you for listening to this sermon from Seven Springs Presbyterian Church. If you want to learn more about us, please find us on Facebook or visit us at sevenspringspresbyterian.com. O holy God, we give you thanks and praise that you have given us your holy scriptures. That we see your faithfulness throughout all generations. We see your promises throughout all history. Lord, we pray that we would be able to learn this psalm. Lord, that You would write it not merely upon our minds and our lips, but upon our heart. That we would be able to draw near to You and the glorious truths that are found in this psalm. Lord, let us long to be able to know Your great promises and Your Word. Let us build our lives upon Your Word. Pray all these things through Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. In His name we pray. Amen. Hear now the word of the Lord from Psalm 23. This is God's holy, inerrant, infallible word. Please take heed how you hear. A Psalm of David. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness for His name's sake. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for You are with me. Your rod and Your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. And my cup overflows. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. And I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. The grass withers and the flowers fade, but the word of our Lord will stand forever. Psalm 23 is most likely the most popular psalm hard to be able to get true statistics on this. Even if we were to survey the room here, we might have a favorite psalm. We might be able to rank them from top to bottom. I'm not, like, I'm not sure if that's allowed. It's like children, right? You might have a favorite at a certain day or a certain time, but you can't say that out loud. But we, we often will have favorite psalms. But if we were to go around the room, maybe Psalm 23 might be the top of your psalms that you like, or even your favorite Bible verse. But at least, I think it would be in your top five or your top ten. I think it probably would be the most popular chapter in the Bible. Though Again, we might not be able to know this. I think that we might have, again, favorite Bible verses. I think Psalm 23 would probably be the most popular chapter. Not only that, I would say that it's probably the most memorized portion of Scripture. We might be able to quote a Bible verse here and there, but very unlikely, maybe it is possible, I pray that it's possible, or it had, that we might be able to quote a chapter of the Bible, but if someone was to put you on the spot, I'm sure that most of you would be able to quote Psalm 23. Even if not all of it, maybe a large portion of it. 
Though we might be, not be able to know the, the statistics of where they rank, of, of the popularity of which is the most popular chapter, of the most memorized portion of Scripture, we do know this. That this psalm is beautifully rich, theologically deep, and comforting to the sheep of the Lord. Matthew Henry explains that many of David's psalms are full of complaints. But this is full of comforts. And the expressions of delight in God's great goodness and dependence upon Him. Spurgeon compares this psalm to a nightingale. He says that as this nightingale is to all birds, this divine ode among the psalms, it has sung sweetly in the ear of many a mourner in his night of weeping and has bidden him hope of a morning of joy. Martin Luther said of Psalm 23, practice reading one psalm, even one little verse of the psalm, and you will progress enough if you learn to make only one verse a day or even one a week. Live and breathe within your heart. After this beginning is made, everything else will follow. And you will have a rich treasury of understanding and affection. Luther says you could read this psalm every day. And it will bring you great comfort. He said you could read a verse of this psalm every day. And think about it and dwell on it within your heart and you would have a lot to be able to contemplate. He even says you can go through a verse a week and have many things to be able to contemplate. And I pray that as we go through this psalm, probably slower than a verse a week, as we slowly walk through this psalm, that this psalm will live and breathe within our heart. And we have a great challenge before us as we study Psalm 23. One of those challenges is that like all of Scripture, there are deep theological truths to be able to mine. To think that we can fully grasp the comfort to be found in this psalm in such a short time is near impossible. But we do seek at least to be able to enter into that mine shaft of 23, Psalm 23. Even if we were to mine what is on the surface in this time, that we would find the riches found in this psalm. But even as I've prepared for this series, I'm reminded of the many great men who have gone before to be able to mine this shaft of Scripture. And how comforting it is to them in all generations, in all times. And yet, I pray that we would do the same. These great minds, you might say, with their large pickaxes to be able to go through, to be able to cut out all the gems. And now you have little old me trying to mine with my little toy hammer. I think we will find riches never left. The second challenge that is ahead of us, not just the greatness of this psalm, but a challenge that is before us is that this is a familiar psalm 
to us. Many of us could quote this psalm almost word for word. And there's a danger when we can get to that estate or get to be able to understand that. Is that we think we know it when we can quote it. But often when you get to that point and and place of familiarity, that it doesn't actually do what Martin Luther was saying, that it lives and breathes in our hearts. It can flow from our lips. We can say we know it, but what we know is we know the words of it. We don't let that then deep sink into our soul. Like the Lord's Prayer. We often would be able to utter the Lord's Prayer. The question is, do we pray like the Lord teaches us in the Lord's Prayer? There's, there's a moment where it becomes known to us, but we need to go deeper that it becomes a way of life for us in how we pray. And Psalm 23 needs to be like that as well. There's a great challenge in studying something that is familiar to us. And as we go through this psalm, my prayer is that we do not only seek to be able to be familiar with it. Maybe you could have quoted this once before and after this sermon series, you'll be able to utter it from your lips again. I pray that we go deeper than that. That this psalm becomes written upon our hearts. That we live and breathe it. Not that we can just quote it. But it would take a drastic impact into our lives and change our lives. So this morning, we are going to get to the end of the title as we study this psalm. And you might have noticed, when I read the Scripture reading of the morning service and even the evening service, it was in the Psalms, that I deliberately read this title of the psalm. Because what we have is that the title is God given. It is Scripture breathed out for us. Now our Bibles are divided up into chapters and verses that are headings in those um, in, in the Bible. They're extremely helpful, but they are not divinely inspired. God did not give us chapters and verses and chapter headings such as we see in our Bible. Now, that does not mean that don't get, get a Bible without these things. They're extremely helpful. Imagine me getting up in the, mor- in the morning service and saying, now turn to your Bibles to the, to the psalm which starts with this. How difficult that would be for us to be able to study Scriptures together. Chapter verses and numbers are very helpful. Chapter headings are very helpful. However, we need to be able to make the difference between the titles and the chapter numbers and the verses where we can use them as tools but understand that maybe the person who did the numbering didn't get it all right. The chapters aren't divided accurately. But however, in the Psalms, we are given the titles. We're told about who the authors are. Other information. So God, when He left His Word to His people, He left His Word with His people, and particularly in the psalm, He left them with these titles. And often we will just glance over these titles, these words, 
but how true it is once we understand why God has given us these titles. He's given us historical information. The historical context. How helpful it is when we turn to Psalm 51 and know that it is concerning the matter of Uriah the Hittite's wife Bathsheba. He's not going to the Lord and merely just saying, you know, I I had a really bad day. Cleanse me. Create in me a new heart, O Lord. How much deeper does that understanding that mean once we know the story of David and what has happened. Not only we're told historical information in the titles, we're told about the origins of some psalms and the authors. Told in Psalm 90 that it's written by Moses. How helpful that is to be able to understand and delve into Psalm 90. Sometimes we're told what type of psalm it is, which is also helpful. You ever know not what to you don't know what to pray? God has given us prayers in the Bible. He's given us the Lord's Prayer. He's given us his whole scripture to be able to pray, but he's also given us prayers. Psalm 142. It said that it is a prayer, and we find that information out from the title. Not only we get the authors, the historical context, the the type of uh, psalm that it is. We also have psalms that explain what day of the week it is written for. A psalm given to us for a day of the week. Psalm 92, a psalm for the Sabbath. We need to understand that the titles are given by God, breathed out by God. Therefore, we should just be cautious to put them in the same category as chapter headings or chapter numbers. And Psalm 23 begins with the title, A Psalm of David. Now this word psalm comes from the word salo. In our minds, we often think of psalms as just nice poems. Now to some extent, they are poems in the sense that they're Uh, literary devices. They carry a different type of understanding when we read them. In historical narrative, we read it as literally what happens. But in Psalms, it's God is a tree. And the, the trees clap their hands to be able to praise God. If we were to read that literally, then we'd not understand the the poem aspect of it. But the danger is we just think of them just as poems. Now, the New Testament actually uses the word psalm in four different categories that we'll look at this morning. The first is that a psalm is Scripture. Psalm is Scripture. We see this. Luke gives his introductory comment in Acts chapter 1, verse 20. And it begins with, for it is written in the book of Psalms. Now this is an introductory comment that is used to introduce Scripture. 
that the author, and Luke points out, and uh, Peter in this time, that we need to understand that the Psalms are not just merely a poem given to us, but they're a poem given to us by God. God inspired. We see Psalm 23 is a psalm of David, a, a, a psalm David writes to God, but it is also God's word to his people as well. They're not just uh, words that have a nice ring to them. We just use as inspirational quotes to help us feel better. But the Psalms are God's words to his people. Divinely inspired. And therefore, we can understand that if, if, with our understanding of Scripture, that as David writes and puts his pen to parchment, as he, as he writes this psalm out, that he is carried along by the Holy Spirit. That the Word of God is living and active and sharper than two-edged sword, dividing between the marrow and the heart. And David, as he's writing this psalm, he, he might be writing a psalm in a historical context or a particular place. But because it is God's Word, it then carries the weight of the signed name of the Holy Spirit. So therefore, we can understand this not merely just as a nice poem David wrote, but as God's Word. So we can look at this psalm and see not just David's intent in his writing, what the Holy Spirit meant as he carried him along. That this psalm, Psalm 23, can be used for that fourfold purposes that we find in 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 16. That all of Scripture, Psalm 23, is breathed out by God. That Psalm 23 is useful for, for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete equipped for every good work. We will find as we go through Psalm 23 that it is good for teaching. There will be moments where we are rebuked or reproofed, corrected, that we train up in righteousness. It will help us to be complete, for equipped for every good work. That is more than a poem, but is God's Word to His people. The second aspect and category the New Testament uses of Psalms is that it points to Christ. Psalm 23 is not quoted in the New Testament. You think about how popular it is now. None of the New Testament authors quote Psalm 23. But we are told in Luke chapter 24 as Jesus walk, uh, ta- teaches the two disciples on the road to Emmaus. Luke 24, verse 44. These are my words that I spoke to you while I was still with you. That everything written about me in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms must be fulfilled. So as he's teaching along the way, Jesus opens up and he goes, well, let's go to the law of Moses. Let's not only go to the law of Moses, let's turn to the prophets. Let's go to the Psalms and see how Christ is in the Psalms and He opens them up. We have no record of this lesson. Wouldn't it have been great to have been one of those two disciples? To hear Jesus unpack the Scriptures and teach 
how he is in the law of Moses, how he is in the prophets, how he is in the Psalms. And you don't know where he turned, but I imagined that he could have turned to Psalm 22, 23, and 24. That in here, you, you turn to Psalm 23 and you see the suffering servant. We read Psalm 22 and we know. We can see Christ in it as we look back. He opens up Psalm 22 and then turns to Psalm uh, Isaiah, Isaiah 53 and points out how he is a suffering servant. He opens up then, turns to Psalm 23 and, and points out how he is the shepherd. He is the good shepherd. And then turns to Ezekiel 34. And turns how he's the good shepherd, not one of these evil shepherds. He then turns to, to Psalm 24 with the, the king of glory. And then Second Samuel chapter 7 and shows how he is the king who sits on David's throne forever. In Psalm 22, you have the cross. In Psalm 23, you have the crook. In Psalm 24, you have the crown. That the Psalms teach us about Christ, like all of Scripture. And if we think of this as merely a man-written poem, then we're limited to what David thought at that time. And as it is Scripture, we know that we can see Christ in the Psalms. That all of Scripture points us to Christ. That it's more than a poem. It points us to Christ. Thirdly, the New Testament explains that the Psalms is something to be sung by the people of God for a specific purpose. This kind of will take in two points. Paul writes in Colossians 3.16, Let the Word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom. We're instructed that the Word of Christ is to dwell in us richly. And Paul then goes on to explain that the Psalms is a way that we can let the Word, dwell, word of Christ dwell in us richly. The Psalms give us a spectrum of the emotions that a believers will face in this life. John Calvin, I believe, calls the Psalms the anatomy of the soul. You can see all the emotions of the soul. I think it doesn't take long to be able to study the Psalms and be able to see this, but even in Psalm 23, I think this, this speaks well of this Psalm, just as a, as a, a slight slither of all the Psalms. He speaks of peaceful waters, of green pastures, of dark valleys, a lavished feast, a hope for eternity, an attack from enemies. These are just to be able to name a few. But Paul says that the Word of Christ is to dwell in us ritually that we might be able to teach and admonish one another. That is... As all scriptures breathe out for teaching, reproof, correction, and training in righteousness, that as it dwells in us, we can then encourage one another, exhort one another. The Psalms help us to be able to do this, to learn about ourselves, our glorious God. They can bring us comfort in times of tribulation, but also we might be able to be admonished by the Psalms 
Have you ever thought that a psalm is used for correction? Psalms aren't, if we just view them as poems to make us feel good. The psalms also should bring us to a repentance. We should feel the loving rod of discipline if we open the psalms. The second part of that third heading is the psalms are quite different from most of Scripture. The psalms specifically are given to God's people not only to be read and to memorize, but also to be sung. This is God's hymn book. To his people. And they're not just a hymn book given to the Old Testament people, but the Psalms are given to us today to sing. Paul goes on in, in uh, Colossians chapter 3. You let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonish you new. Then he says, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with things. Thankfulness in your hearts to God. Paul explains that that as you let the Word of Christ dwell in you richly, that the word dwelling comes from the people singing the Psalms with thankfulness in our hearts of God. Have you ever thought that as you sing in a morning service, as you lift up your voice to God, you, you are singing to God, but you are also singing to your brothers and sisters around you? that you might encourage and edify them. That the Psalms are more just poems. But it's also for us to be able to sing. One of the main reasons we're given the Psalms is because music speaks to the heart. Music is something that helps us to be able to remember. One of my professors in seminary mentioned that we should sing good hymns and music in church. We should have hymns that are robust and sustainable, a great diet in what we sing. Because he mentions this. Throughout the years of his time as a pastor, when people were on their deathbed, about to be able to cross that river to the celestial city, they very rarely would be able to quote a portion of Scripture. They might be able to quote a small portion, but they very rarely would be able to quote a portion of Scripture. They will almost never, if not never, remember any of your sermons. Maybe one or two in their life might stand out, but they will remember what they sung. They will remember the hymns that they sung and grew up singing. So what comfort is to be found in in hymns and psalms? If the hymn and psalm is all about us as people, as individuals, then there is no comfort on your deathbed. But if they're theologically rich, for the throne of God above, I have a strong and perfect plea. A great high priest whose name is love. Whoever bleeds and dies for me. And psalms are given that we might be able to know the Scripture. 
that we might be able to sing. And Psalm 23 is a great example of this. I would say almost most churches today do not sing psalms. They're commanded to in Scripture. Most churches today do not sing psalms. However, if they were to sing a psalm, Psalm 23 would probably be the psalm that they would sing. A great lesson for us is, as you sing the psalm that you might be able to know it. How famous Psalm 23 to the tune of Crimmond, a Scottish Psalter uh, tune. The psalm appears in over 500 hymnals. Psalms in this psalm are more than just helpful poems to be uttered. Psalm 23 is God's Word to His people. It points us to Christ. It is used to be able to teach us, to admonish us. And finally, it's to be sung. In this psalm, Psalm 23 is a great example of this passage. This, these categories. So when we read the title, a psalm, let us not just merely think as just a strange category of a book in the Bible, but for all of these purposes, it's given to us. But the other portion of the title tells us that it's a psalm of David. Now, liberal scholars have any believe, will, will stir up an argument in almost any situation. They explain that maybe it's not of David as it's written by David, but it's written about David. Now, I think that's not going down that rabbit trail, but in the Bible we see that in Luke 20, verse 42, when Jesus is asking the question of, who is my Lord's son? Who is David's son? He says that as David wrote in Psalm 110, he doesn't quote it even, Psalm 110, he just says, as David wrote. And he quotes Psalm 110. Now, in this psalm, Psalm 23, we do not have any more information than it's written by David. I think this is important as we study. We'll, we'll come back to David and his life. Maybe this is one of the earliest psalms that David has ever written. As he was a little shepherd boy watching his father's flock. Throughout the years, he would sing and meditate on this little psalm that he wrote. Or maybe it's a psalm... Not of young age, but of old age. As he looks back on his life and thinks about how his life has had ups and downs. And we do not know for certain. We know that David was a shepherd. David, even though he was a shepherd, saw himself as a sheep. When we first meet David, where is he? He's actually out in the fields watching his father's sheep in 1 Samuel chapter 16. But in this, he finds the example of a shepherd and his sheep as the image of God in himself. He writes this psalm, humbly seeking no title for himself, nor to think of himself as highly, more highly than he ought. But he sees the sheep which are under his care. And he says, I'm a sheep as well. 
The Lord is my shepherd. The second thing that is helpful for us to understand that that David was in fact an under-shepherd of God's people. David is, is known as the shepherd king. In 2 Samuel chapter 5, chapter, verse 2, the Lord said to you, speaking of David, you shall shepherd my people of Israel, and you shall be prince over Israel. That David is called out of watching the sheep of the pasture to the sheep of God's people. Hearing for his father's heavenly father's flock from his father's flock. He is a sheep to look after other sheep. David was always a shepherd, you might say. He was just watching different sheep. The sheep were the people of God. But David was humble king under the chief shepherd. Now again, we need to be cautious about elevating this to the point where it's all about David and all about the context in which David writes. Because again, it is Scripture. God breathed out. And some of these studies that I've read are are all about the Middle Eastern practices of shepherding. There's help in, in understanding that context, but you just limit yourself to that, I think you miss uh, interpreting Scripture with Scripture. But lastly, we need to understand that David is a believer. This psalm is written in a very personal manner. Throughout the psalm you see words like my, or I, or me. David writes this psalm as a believer. It's one of the great aspects of this psalm. But although it was written 3,000 years ago in a different language, in a different era, in a different time, with different words, and in a different culture, the truth still rings today. Although we might have never tended a flock of sheep, the comfort of this psalm is a comfort for any believer or pilgrim in this day. Joel Beakey explains it this way. For some, the Lord has caused Psalm 23 to serve as their pilgrim psalm. On their journey through the valley of this Mesca here below. It has been a song of courage to many of God's inwardly oppressed pilgrims. In the hands of the Holy Spirit, it has been balm to some spiritually sick of love. A consolation of others sitting spiritually captive in the dungeon of misery. And a tonic for soldiers dying on the battlefield of the field of free grace. It has broken the chains of numerous spiritual prisoners and God-fearing Jonathans have been privileged throughout the ages to dip honey from this psalm with the faith, the staff of faith, to be reawakening of love, re-enlivening of hope, and the re-strengthening of faith. We pray as we begin this journey, as we study this pilgrim song, that it would be balm for us. It would be honey dipped on our stack. It would be tonic. Freedom for those who are captive. That even if we find ourselves in the green pastures of this life, we're the valley of the shadow of death. 
this psalm would live and breathe within our heart. We would grow more than just quoting this psalm. Loving this psalm. Loving Christ who is spoken of in this psalm. That we might lack no good thing. Let's go to Lord in prayer. O gracious and most merciful Heavenly Father, we give You thanks and praise that You have given us all of Your Scripture. Lord, that through Your Scripture we might be able to understand the purposes of other sections of Scripture. Lord, we pray that as we study this psalm together, that You would do more than just let it flow from our lips. That You would let it dwell in our hearts richly. Lord, that we would know more of You, understand more of ourselves. Lord, that You would use this psalm as balm for others, tonic for some. It would be used as honey dipped from a staff. Lord, we pray that You would use this Word as You use all of Your words. Be able to edify Your saints we might be able to tra- be trained in righteousness for your name's sake, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening to this sermon from Seven Springs Presbyterian Church. If you want to learn more about us, please find us on Facebook or visit us at sevenspringspresbyterian.com. Seven Springs Presbyterian Church began in 1874 and is a congregation of the Presbyterian Church in America located in Glade Spring, Virginia. Please join us for worship on Sunday at 10 a.m., and 6 p.m. for His glory and His gospel.